Before we start the program, I want to introduce you to an event that's coming up this August. The Loma Linda Institute of Worship is offering a worship leadership certificate to help leaders and pastors take their congregation's worship experience to the next level. This August 9-12 through 12 event will include presenters Randy Roberts, Adriana Pereira, Nicholas Zork, Wayne Buckner, Richard Hickam, and more, and provide the opportunity to perform on stage with Steve Green and the Heritage Singers. Come sing, pray, write new music, share testimonies and resources, and grow together with like-minded worship leaders from across the world. Go to LLIW.net to register. Welcome to the Loma Linda University Church Sermon Podcast. We hope you will be blessed by the message. So those of you that uh, attend regularly know that I don't regularly preach. Um, And usually it's like once a year with COVID. I think it's been about, um, I don't know how long. (laughs) And uh, when Pastor Miguel called me, it's a little blurry to me whether he told me before or after. He said, hey, Stu, would you be willing to, to, to preach? And um, I said yes. The part I don't remember is whether he told me before or after that the theme was the sanctuary. There's no landmines in that whole subject matter, is there? <laughs> A little intimidating. I shared this morning um, in research for this sermon, I'd, I'd looked at something Pastor um, Randy had used as an illustration, and Marion Wagner, a longtime member of this church, had given him this little button. <laughs> had the big word no on it, so put on his desk, hit no. And, um, sometimes when uh, someone asks you to do something, you say yes, you think, what were you thinking? Um, I'm not going to lie, it's a little intimidating, but I think all of us particularly who have been longtime members of an Adventist church, understand a dynamic, a challenge with this particular subject. Now, how many of you remember show and tell? I was surprised in Anthem, there were more that knew what that was than I thought. Because some of these things, you know, we did as kids in elementary school, kind of went by the wayside. For those that don't, haven't experienced that, it was basically an opportunity where you could bring something that meant something to you, bring it to class, show it to the class, and tell them all about it. Now, that might be a, a favorite toy. It might be a souvenir that you got on your summer vacation trip. It always got a little interesting when maybe someone decided to bring one of their pets, like a snake or something it took us two or three days to find. (laughs) Show and tell. Now, in my field, um, one of the things that you're taught, if you're trying to write a script for, say, a television show or a feature film, One of the first things they teach you is show, don't tell. 
Let me illustrate. So let's take uh, like a detective drama. It probably wouldn't be that interesting of a show if it focused on the detective, he or she just sits in their office and then the entire show is them explaining to you, well, I first did this and then I did this and then I did this and then I caught him. The magic is when you can watch them drive to the location and they see evidence that everyone else missed and you get to watch them put the pieces of the puzzle together to solve the crime. Show, not tell. Well, I would suggest to you that the sanctuary is God trying to show and not just tell. And what is he trying to show? He's trying to show us the process how it works that he's going to restore our relationship with him that was interrupted by sin. And before we dive into it, let me just say something a little bit about my, kind of my experience in the idea of, of sin. There was a time, I, I think if I really look at it, it seems as though like God came up with these lists of kind of arbitrary rules. Some of them kind of made sense. And basically what we need to do is we, we showed enough self-control to not do some of these things. And we got a house over the hilltop, uh, a gold one, by the way. That was the idea. But the reality is whether you believe in it or not, sin is a disease that impacts everything in our lives. Is there anyone here that's suffering? Is there anyone here where has a, they have a relationship that wishes it were different? Does anyone struggle with loneliness? The list could just keep going on and on and on. That is the effect of sin. Sin essentially is a virus that we all have. But this morning, talk about how God has not only diagnosed it, but he's provided the cure. So let's start with going into this scripture reading that George so graciously and understandably read. Thank you. <laughs> let's go to Exodus 30, 17 through 21. Read with me. Then the Lord said to Moses, make a bronze basin with a bronze stand for washing Place it between the tent of the meeting and the altar and put water in it. Aaron and his sons are to wash their hands and feet with water from it. Whenever they enter the tent of meeting, they shall wash with water so they will not die. Ouch. Also, when they approach the altar to minister by presenting a food offering to the Lord, they shall wash their hands and feet 
so that they will not die. Ouch. This is to be a lasting ordinance for Aaron and his descendants for generations to come. Probably not your typical early morning devotional reading verse. Now, I have a graphic here that kind of gives an illustration. Now, when I shared with some colleagues uh, that I was supposed, to, I was assigned to talk about the basin, they all looked at me like, the, the, the what? So I'm going to try and explain that a little bit for those of you that might not know. So this is a very simplified description of the sanctuary. So you have the curtain on the outside, and then if you notice right away where the smoke is rising, that's the altar. Now that's the place where the animals were sacrificed. And remember, God is trying to show, he's trying to show the Israelites that was the symbol that pointed to a time when Jesus, our creator, our savior, was gonna die on the cross for us. Then that next thing, the little bowl thing, basin with water in it, that's what I'm talking about. And then of course, the, the colorful tent, that's the holy and most holy place, so that's God's house. And I should point out, as, as I mentioned in the beginning, sin basically destroys relationships. In the very beginning, you look at Adam and Eve. What happened after they sinned? What does the narrative say? God came looking for them like he always did. What were they doing? Why were they hiding? They were afraid. Now, did God change? Who changed? And then they proceeded basically to throw God and everybody under the bus. That's what sin does to us. It's a disease. Well, looking, it's very important. Remember that God's trying to show, and I, I realize it's difficult for us, the idea of, of taking a lamb like they did and, you know, killing it and all that kind of, very horrific and violent. It was horrific. But that was the point. That was the cost of sin. It's, we struggle to fully grasp that visualization because I don't think any of us are looking forward to going out and sacrificing a lamb anytime soon. Um, but that's what it was. God was trying to show. And I think it's very important to notice the order. So when you first came into the temple, and remember, God decided to have his house built in the middle of the camp. So sin separated it so Adam and Eve, so man couldn't have that direct communion that they'd become so accustomed to with God. Sin separated that. But God, trying to get as close as possible, has his house built right in the center. And then he's trying to show this is how our relationship's going to be restored. This is how we're going to deal with our relationship in a sinful world, but ultimately it's going to get all taken care of. So the order is first the, the altar. The, the symbol, if you will, that pointed to Jesus dying on the cross. And what did that say? It said your sins, your guilt is taken care of. That's where we start. Then there's the next part. So I've accepted Jesus in my life. What next? Now, I was one of those naive 
um, Christians that when I was baptized, felt like when I came out of the water, I'd be Stu the Saint. Now, I wish I could say it took a day, two days, a week maybe, but we all know it was like minutes maybe, I, you know, to realize that I was still Stu the sinner. But Jesus paid the price. So we know that just accepting Jesus the price being paid, we still got to live our lives. What then? What happens then? What does God do? Well, God is talking about the, the priests are supposed to go from there and then they go to the basin and they're required to wash their hands and feet. Now, if they didn't, what happened? What did the text say? They would die. I don't know about you, I remember growing my parents um, had various methods to get me to do what I was supposed to do, but I don't remember them when they said, Stu, you need to wash your hands, um, that I would die if I didn't. Seems a little harsh. But look a little closer, and, and it, it goes beyond the scope of the message this morning, but let, let me just say this. There seems to be an inherent reality like a law that when sin is in the presence of a pure and holy God, it gets consumed, is destroyed. They cannot coexist. It's not like God getting angry. That's just how it happens. And so God is explaining, okay, first and foremost, we're trying to restore this relationship. And so first, I'm going to tell you, I value you. You mean something to me. I love you. I'm going to take care of the first part. I'm going to pay the price for the guilt. But then we go on living our lives, and that's where we come to the title of the series, Sanctified. And this is where we got to be careful because what this illustration, what God is showing is when the priests are going to go into the house of God, they need to wash their hands and feet. And if they don't, they'll die. Now, that's not the most comforting description, is it? But let's look a little closer. Fundamentally, if God expects something from us, he's going to provide the means to experience it. Now, we often get in trouble, especially being Seventh-day Adventists. Our whole movement, this is a Seventh-day Adventist community, and the movement emerged out of a group of people of all denominations, and even those that didn't espouse any faith at all. But they felt the Holy Spirit's calling a conviction that what it meant to follow Jesus in our day is looking to him coming back to take us home. The first, the altar, was 
looking to Jesus, what it meant to follow Jesus, follow him to the cross, his first coming. Well, now the focus was on the second. Now, one of the things, if you've been an Adventist for a long time and heard some of these messages, you know that one of the things that we do as Adventists when we're talking about this particular subject is we spend a lot of time with the word judgment. Now, I imagine most of us, when we hear that word, that's not something we put in a greeting card to express our appreciation, right? Now, there's a reason why we focus on that. And judgment isn't all bad. For example, the fact that Jesus died on the cross to pay for our sins, God judged that your sins are paid for. That's, we're okay with that, right? Another example is, is there's a certain level of, of, of justice. There, we have millennia, centuries of oppression, um, injustices, prejudices. You can go on and on and on. There's a time that God promises that there will be a judgment, that justice will be served to the oppressed. That's good news. But this idea of judgment is where we can often get into a very dark place. Now, I'm very grateful that the Seventh-day Adventist faith community does not believe the Bible teaches an eternal burning hell. But it feels like when we come to the sanctuary in judgment, we kind of create what I would call this veggie or vegan hell <laughs> that results in this debilitating fear. Because even fear is a legitimate emotion. If we didn't have fear, you know, we'd walk out in the middle of the street and get run over by a truck. But we all understand that problem with the kind of fear that just takes us down. It keeps us away. And we've all experienced that, that not only the kind of sin that we, we know instinctively, whether we were religious or not, that's not a good thing to do. But even in the name of God... Satan has been able to successfully, through sin, take us down to crush us, to make us feel lonely, to, to, to struggle to think whether we're worthy. And think of the impact that has with our relationships with each other. Think of how much energy we spend sometimes to hide something or or, or not to do something, because I think if people really knew what I was really like, they wouldn't like me. I'm not worthy. It just goes on and on. Do you really think that's how Jesus wants us to live? Now, the one thing, when we get into this space, they're moving into, they have to, the sacrifices happen, they go to the basin. They're supposed to wash their hands. God is, 
has an expectation. God does have expectations of us. And we instinctively understand that there's something valuable about this. I often explain this where if I didn't expect anything from my kids, I have two boys, if I didn't expect anything from my two boys, I'd get what I expect. So we inherently understand there's a legitimacy, a healthiness to certain levels of expectation. But I would argue in the context we're talking about the sanctuary where God is trying to show us the process, when we get to the expectation parts, we step in for Christ. Instead of letting God do it, we try and do it for him. Have you ever done that? If God expects something from us, he's going to provide the means to do it, to experience it. God does not do the following. While I was, again, doing some research for this sermon, um, a colleague shared a story, and we couldn't remember who originated, originally shared this story, and some of you may know who that was. But it's a great story, I think. It illustrates the point. And it goes like this. So this guy has a car. And he's having a problem with his car. When he hits the horn, no sound comes out. Now, I realize some of us wish some people had that problem with their car, right? But when he hit the horn, nothing happened. It was silent. So he decides to take his car to the mechanic he always takes the car to, to see if he can get this fixed. Get it to where when he hits the thing on the steering wheel for the horn to go, it'll make a sound. So he gets to the mechanic who has his gate closed and with a clearly displayed sign says, honk if you need service. <laughs> God isn't putting us in that situation. Probably many of you have been through some of those meetings. Maybe that's how you came to Christ. Where there was someone standing up front talking about the soon coming of Jesus. Are you ready? And I believe that's a relevant question that we should ask ourselves. But I think many of us can remember a time that would evoke a sense of fear. Perfect love casts out fear. Do we really think that's how God wants us to live our life? So I got this tennis ball here. And no, I'm, I'm, I'm not going to juggle it. <laughs> I'm not sure I could juggle one, but uh, Philip did such a good job. Um, if I hold this out and I let go of it, what is it going to do? 
It's going to fall. If I throw it up a little bit like this, toss it up, what's it going to do? Do you even question that? Now, how do we know that? Well, probably in school sometime, a teacher taught you something about gravity, right? The truth of the matter is we don't really understand a lot about gravity. But why do you know that primarily? You've experienced it, right? You've maybe thrown a ball up. You've watched it done. But you'd, even though we don't have full knowledge of how it works, we don't question that that's going to be the outcome. I suggested to you that that's the relationship God wants to have with you when we talk about this process of sanctification, getting purified, living with him. He doesn't want us to solve it. God is our author and what? Finisher. Who's the finisher? Am I the finisher? God is the author and the finisher. Do you really believe that? Do you question it at all? Well, how does this process work? Well, in Ephesians, it talks about, uh, uses the metaphor of washing through the word. Another way is through prayer. And I'd like to um, read a verse, uh, two verses, actually. The first is in Hebrews. And this first one is describing what God wants us actually to experience when we think of meeting God again, going home. And it's a familiar verse, Hebrews 4, 16. Let us then approach God's throne of grace. What kind of throne is it? What is typically our image of thrones? Very dominant authority. Approach God's throne of grace with what? Confidence. So that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. In a lot of the discussion of sanctuary as it relates in time, the throne comes up a lot. That's often a context that contributes to that fear. What does it say? Approach God's throne of grace with confidence so we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Do you believe that? Do you question it? One other verse, very familiar verse. It's from David, or for the Psalms. Psalms 51, 10 through 12. Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. Do you believe that? Do you really believe that a Savior that probably left a house that's better than we can ever imagine, to come down to be humiliated, 
to be ridiculed, to experience demonic levels of prejudice, to be betrayed by his closest friends when he needed them most, and then ultimately to be killed by the very people he came to save. Do you believe a savior, a creator, who went through all that wouldn't answer your prayer of creating me a new heart? God is the author and finisher of our faith. We're Seventh-day Adventists. Seventh-day Adventists. The Adventist refers to our, our focus on following Jesus in that he's coming back to take us home. The seventh day is referencing the day we're worshiping, a day of rest. Jesus wants us to experience that rest today, to rest in him that he is the author and the finisher of faith, not us. And so as I close, I'm going to have them put the first verse of Psalms that we just read, and I want you to essentially pray with me as we read it. Create in me, let's do that again. Create in me a pure heart, O God. Renew a steadfast spirit in me. As the song said earlier, here, in the, here is the power of Christ we stand. Jesus wants to, us to experience a Sabbath rest. I pray that you experience that rest today knowing that God has heard your prayer. Let's pray. Most gracious Heavenly Father, there are so many barriers to our believing and trusting. But I ask your Holy Spirit to continue to rest on everyone here, wherever they might be experiencing this service. May they experience the reality that you are present, seeking to create that new heart to change our lives today. May we each experience that Sabbath rest in you that we can trust that you are changing us and creating in us each and every day a new heart. Thank you for hearing and answering our prayer in your precious name. Find more podcasts, videos, church events, and how you can support the Loma Linda University Church at lluc.org.